morning, everybody. We are talking about encouragement once again. So um, if you want to, we'll be in the book of Acts. We're going to start off in Acts 4 and then Acts 9. Uh, but as you turn there, there's a story about the Duke of Wellington, uh, the famous military leader who defeated Napoleon. And he was asked at the end of his life if he had any regrets looking back. The Duke of Wellington made one statement. He said, if I do have a regret, it would be that I didn't give more praise. I didn't encourage others more. Someone once said, as we shared last week, a famous quote about that, that they said, flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me and I may not forgive you. Praise me and I will not forget you. There's something about praise and encouragement that although we find it hard to believe or accept sometimes, it never leaves our hearts or our minds. We can look back over our life and remember the words of those that praised us and encouraged us in a sincere fashion, and they have touched our hearts. So this morning as we talk about encouragement again, because we just didn't get enough last week, here's the full center of the message for today. I want to encourage you to be an encourager. Not just to know about encouragement or to want encouragement or to think about it, but to be the encourager of other people, to be the one that goes to them and meets them where they're at and encourages them and prods them forward. I want you to be one of those people who encourages others to do greater things in the kingdom of God. And to understand this, we're going to look at the life of Barnabas in the book of Acts as he is one of the true encouragers of the Bible. So in Acts 4, we're going to be in verses 36 to 20, 37. This is where we first meet Barnabas in the book of Acts, and he's mentioned 34 times in the New Testament, and all but five are found in the book of Acts. So if you want to study about encouragement and about Barnabas, dig into the book of Acts. So we read this. Acts chapter 4, verses 36 to 37. It says, Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translate means, what? Son of encouragement and who owned a tract of land, sold it, and bought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. So this is the first time we meet Barnabas in the New Testament. And notice that his name really wasn't Barnabas, it was Joseph, right? But he had the nickname of Barnabas by the apostles. They were the one that tagged him, the son of encouragement, which if you look at the word Barnabas, uh, means bar, son of, and then nabas, which is Hebrew, which goes back to uh, and an exhortation that the Hebrews would say what meant, meant to build people up and to encourage people. We also know from this text that he was a Levite. That means he was from the priestly tribe of Israel. So he knew the ways of the Jewish people. And we learned that he was from Cyprus. And this would also be important because as we read about Barnabas and what his actions were in the New Testament church, being from Cyprus, he was able to bridge the gap between the Hebrews and the Hellenistic people of the world, in essence, between both the Jews and the Gentiles, because he lived in that world. Now flip over to Acts chapter 9, we're in verses 26 to 28. This is after the conversion of Saul, and Saul has been on the road to Damascus, uh, the Lord has spoken to him, he's been blinded for three days, and he comes and now he's going back to be in fellowship with the church that he had persecuted just a few days before. And it tells us this about Barnabas and about Paul, the newly converted Christian. It says, when he, Paul, came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. 
But Barnabas, here's we have the intervention of Barnabas, the son of encouragement again. But Barnabas took hold of Saul, of Paul, and brought him to the apostles, and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had talked to him, and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. So here's Saul, now become the Apostle Paul. He's trying to join the church that he has been persecuting for all this time. And like most people, they don't buy into it, right? This is just another trap, another ploy. Barnabas is the only one that takes this new convert under his wings. He brings him to the other disciples. And it's, in fact, Barnabas that tells the story of Paul. It's not Paul telling his story. It's Barnabas telling the story about Paul and his conversion and how he spoke out about the Lord and he's now the real deal. So we see Barnabas coming in and starting this encouragement again of coming alongside someone who's being deeply criticized by everyone else and saying, wait a minute, folks, wait a minute. You got to give him a second shot because he's changed. He's changed. Now turn over to Acts 15. We're going to be in verses 36 to 41. Later on in the ministry, Paul is out going on the missionary journeys, and he has John Mark, a young convert Christian that has come to salvation. And John Mark is supposedly going out with Paul and Barnabas on these missionary journeys to spread the gospel, and John Mark has blown it. He's bailed on him. And so we see where here we are, the apostle Paul again a little bit later on, and Barnabas, and it says this, verse, chapter 15, verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed to the brethren, to the grace of the Lord. So interesting course of events. Here Paul, who was once Saul, has his conversion on the road to Damascus. He comes and he tries to join the disciples and what do they do? Well, they're ultimately critical of him. And they're like, no, this is a trap, this is a trick. He's been persecuting us. He's just trying to sneak in to look like us and he's gonna uh, destroy us again. Barnabas is the only one that comes alongside Paul and says, wait a minute, guys, we have to give this man a second chance. He's a changed man in light of all their criticism of, no, we know what he's been doing. We know about him very well. And Barnabas is the only one saying, no, give him a chance, give him a chance. Take a chance on him. We see Paul later now that he's out spreading the gospel and John Mark blows it. Well, what's Paul's stance all of a sudden? He's just like those early disciples. He's like, no, I don't want him. He blew it. He was supposed to go with us. He bailed on us. He didn't go. Paul is ultra critical of John Mark, isn't he? Which is interesting and ironic since it was disciples that were so critical of him and his conversion when he was desperately trying to be part of the disciples in the early church. Now he's the one who's so critical over this young man who's blown it. And it's Barnabas who comes up and says, Paul, man, think of your own life. You gotta give him another chance. Yes, he blew it, he made a mistake, but don't all of us? And I can just imagine the conversation as he's looking to Paul saying, you of all people should understand this. You of all people should know that God works in people's lives and you can blow it for so long, but when God changed your life, 
then you need to be accepted and joined into the church. So Barnabas takes John Mark, Paul goes off with Silas, and they head off their separate ways sharing the gospel, which that's irony in itself because they were so fighting against each other, now they're going to go out and talk about the love of Jesus and embracing one another. What a weird concept, right? But they go out, and we find out later on as you read through Acts and, and the rest of the New Testament that there is a change of events in Paul's life. So here he goes from being critical like the disciples were of him, and Barnabas is the one key figure between them all that brings them together. We see Paul later on in his ministry that John Mark becomes so important to him that he actually cries out when he's in jail and he says, bring John Mark to me because he's important. I need to be with him. And I think about that, and I wonder what would have happened if Barnabas had not been there to be involved in the life of Paul and in reuniting him with the disciples. What about if Barnabas had not been there as an encourager to say, no, give John Mark a second chance, Paul. You know what this whole thing is. You know how it is to be on the outside, ultra-criticized. Give him a shot. And Paul says no, but then later on, Paul realizes the flaw of his attitude and says, I need him. Bring him to me. Now, with that in mind, turn back to Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 26. That's where we'll spend the remainder of our time to see what Barnabas has for us to encourage us to be encouragers of other people, but especially of other Christians. Acts chapter 19, or Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 26 states this. This is after Stephen has been martyred. Remember Stephen? He's out there. They go to stone him. He's got the glow of God, and uh, he's martyred and killed by the people, and uh, he surrenders his spirit up to the Lord, and we read this. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. So they're, they're scattered in the church. Here they are. They're speaking only to, to Jews. But, verse 20, there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, remember Cyprus, that's where Barnabas was from, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. When they arrived, they witnessed the grace of God, and he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And Barnabas left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, Barnabas and Saul and Paul met with the churches and taught considerable numbers, and disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So let's break this down a little bit and reconstruct it. Verses 19 to 21. Stephen's been martyred. And again, with the persecution of the church, the church has scattered. People have run away. Again, they're in fear. It's just like the time when Christ was crucified. Instead of being out sharing the gospel, the apostles and the disciples were up in an upper room with the door locked, hiding out in fear. Well, here we are. Stephen has been stoned to death in the sight of all, and the church is running in fear, thinking, oh my gosh, I could be next. This could be me. What would they do to me? Maybe I won't die. Maybe they'll just torture me. So they've scattered. But there are a few that as they scatter, they are preaching the gospel of Jesus, and a significant number of people are coming to the Lord. 
both Jews and Gentiles. Here we have the geographical expansion of the church. And it's interesting to think about this, that even in times of persecution, we talk about the end times, we talk about the end of days and the, the things in Revelation uh, and all that goes on about how bad the world gets. Do you see what God is doing with that persecution? He is actually using that as a tool to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, to bring others to salvation, which should encourage us in the fact that even if we are persecuted and we go through difficult times, when we are faithful and committed to the Lord, God uses that to share the gospel and bring others to salvation. That God wastes no opportunity. So here's what's seemingly a bad thing where the early church is in fear and they're scattering, but they are talking about Jesus. And suddenly in this turn of events, in this persecution against the church, God begins to move and many begin to come to salvation. So on to verse 22. Verse 22 says this, The news about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Now it's interesting because it's going back to the church, the early church in Jerusalem. They're hearing about this huge mass number of people coming to salvation in Jesus. And it's just amazing because they're not only Jews, they're Gentiles. So they send a person to go investigate. But wouldn't it make more sense to send one of the apostles? I mean, these are the the leaders of the church at the time, they're the, the core group, the foundation that were with Jesus. Wouldn't that make more sense? But who do they send? They send Barnabas instead. And I think part of it is, one, because he was from Cyprus, so he was in that Gentile area. He understands their ways and he can speak to them, but also because they knew that Barnabas was such an encourager, such an encourager. And at this time, the time of persecution, what do people need to hear? Good words, encouraging words, words that it's going to be okay and God's in control. So verses 23 to 24 says this, When he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them with resolute heart or wholeheartedness to remain true to the Lord. For Barnabas was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. So Barnabas shows up, and what does he witness? He doesn't say, hey, we got a Billy Graham crusade going on. He says, the grace of God has had impact here. God is here and God is at work among the people, among the Jews and the Gentiles. God is moving. We need to recognize this, that even in times that we live in, as we look around and we are conscious of the presence of God in our lives and conscious of what God is doing in this country, even with all the heyday of what's going on, that we need to look for places where God is moving where God is at action, where he is moving in places that don't seem like that would be a good place, but God is there. And so what does Barnabas do? Well, first he rejoices and he praises God, but then he encourages these early Christians to do one thing, and that's simply this, to remain true to Lord Jesus Christ with all their hearts. Now, this is key as we think about it. Because a lot of times people will join a church or come to salvation and the church kind of takes this role. Well, now that you're a Christian, you can and can't do this. Well, you got to give this up. Well, you got to start doing this. And the church goes into a thing of regulations, right? We read about it in, in uh, the Old and New Testament about placing burdens too heavy upon men's shoulders about, well, now that you're part of the church and a member of our church and you've come to salvation, these are the things you you should do, and these are the things you can't do anymore. There's no grace in there. And what happens in that is 
again, if things are just built on legalism, on rules and regulations, what do people eventually do? They get tired and frustrated of it and they give up. It's like, I can't do all this stuff. But if, like in salvation, everything that we do as a new Christian is based on staying true to Jesus Christ in a wholehearted manner, then things become natural and they just happen. Because when we focus on the behavior and the mental set rather than keeping a bunch of rules and regulations, that's when God changes our hearts because we're motivated to do those, not told to do those. So we see Barnabas encouraging the people, which is actually a play on words that the encourager is doing what? Encouraging, which makes kind of sense because that's what encouragers should do, right? That they should encourage others. So practical application for us, if we are being encouraged to be an encourager, what should our role be with those around us? Well, simple, to encourage, right? Especially those in the church, especially those new believers or those young in the faith that are just learning how this whole thing works and how God has transformed their lives and where he's taking them and how to have faith, how to stay strong in troubled times, how to keep your eyes upon the Lord, how not to lose faith that is going on now in many of the churches. How, how do we stay true to the Lord? How do you encourage people to do that? How do we encourage ourselves sometimes as we get to places of complacency or just kind of, ah, you know, just going through the motions and re-encourage ourselves to stay true to the Lord, to reignite that fire. Because again, if we stay true to Jesus Christ, God will do the rest and God will pick up from there. So Barnabas encourages these young Christians to stay true to the truth. And here's where this hits us in the New Testament. Remember the parable of the sower? The seeds were scattered, four different sets of seeds, that if we don't stay grounded in that relationship with Jesus and the person, not the icon, not the symbol, but the person of Jesus Christ, we're like those seeds that the sun comes up and scorches us out, or the worries of the world come and take that away, or our faith is in essence stolen from us. By, by diverting us. There's only one set of seed that falls in good ground. And again, that's where I think as Barnabas is encouraging these young believers to stay true in the Lord with wholeheartedness, that what he is actually doing is setting them up for success. Because hard times are yet to come, right? I mean, when you guys all came to salvation, life was a breeze, right? No hard times, no struggles, no ups, no downs, no challenges, no opportunities to live in faith, right? Hard times come. And so Barnabas is encouraging him. He says, whatever you do, stay strong in the Lord. Stay strong in the truth. Seek God with all your heart, all your strength, and all your might, and your soul. Seek God with everything because that's the foundation that you're not like these other seeds that get burned out, that get complacent, that get diverted with your attention. Stay true in the Lord. And I think that message is, Barnabas is encouraging these early Christians kind of comes back to us, doesn't it? As we hear that and we think, wow, where is my relationship in God right now? Where is my relationship? In times of persecution or apathy, am I staying strong in the Lord? In times of challenge, am I really having faith in Jesus that he is Lord and God and Savior? Sometimes we need to take this and look in the mirror. And um, if you're me, look in the mirror on a Monday morning, besides being scared, saying, John, what are you doing to stay true in the Lord? Are you putting your faith in God or in 
finances or in other people or in positions? Or is God going to get you through this? Is Jesus truly going to get you through this as you say and as you read? And sometimes we need to encourage ourselves with this message of Barnabas to stay true to the Lord because nobody's going to do it for us, right? It's our call to draw near to Jesus because the Bible tells us if we seek him, we'll find him, right? That it's an action on our part to seek out God even after salvation, to continue to seek and deepen that relationship with God. And then when we take that action, God ministers to us. So Barnabas is encouraging them. And then we see in verse 24 some interesting things about the man Barnabas, that he was the real deal. He was authentic. It says he was a good man. We don't read that very often in the New Testament where someone states a person is a good man. Even Jesus said there's no one good except my father. We see Barnabas also as a man full of the spirit and full of faith. The interesting thing here is that as he is as Barnabas is encouraging these other Christians is we realize something. You can't give away what you don't possess yourself, right? You can't give away what you don't have. So for Barnabas to come and say, you've got to draw close to the Lord. You've got to stick to the truth. You've got to rely on Jesus Christ and seek that. He really can't be authentic and genuine and convincing in that unless what? His own life is embedded in Jesus Christ himself, which speaks to us again. I mean, I often find in my life when I'm not encouraging others in the Lord, it's probably because I'm not as close as I should be. It's that mere reflection of, hey, I gotta do a little work in my life with the Lord before I can share with them. That again, that constant encouragement to stay close in the Lord. And if we find that we've wandered away, well, instead of sitting down and thinking, man, I used to be close to the Lord. Man, I wonder what happened. Instead of wallowing in that, what's the call? To go back to that first love, to draw near to God again, that we can give away what we have. Because the great thing about the Bible is, when we give, what does God do to us? He just gives us more to give away. If we're faithful in a little, we'll be faithful in much. To him who has little, it will be taken away. But to him who has much, more will be given. And so again, we see those precepts in God's word that as we give that faith away, that love, that encouragement God, God gives it to us. One of the greatest things for Christians that if we're feeling down on ourselves, we can pray about it. Yeah, that's good. We can read the Bible. But one of the greatest things we can do is start ministering to others, which again, gets the attention off of us and woe is me. And as we start ministering to others, we start giving away that message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And I've always found that when we start doing that, or I start doing that, or you start doing that, as we're down in the dumps and we start ministering to others and not thinking about ourselves and our world, but we start being in their world and meeting their needs, what happens in life? God starts moving and changing. And all of a sudden, instead of being down in the dumps, we're encouraged. Our life is full again, we're overflowing with goodness because what God is doing through us. So again, you can't give away what you don't have. But if you find we're kind of lacking, we're that cup half empty, we'll just start reaching out and ministering to others. Start spreading the good news of the gospel. And as we give that away, God starts filling that. I mean, why else would we be uh, a spring of water abundantly overflowing? 
that we don't we go from a cup half empty to just overflowing with goodness that's just spilling all over everybody else and so we see in Barnabas he's overflowing with the goodness of God I mean he goes there and the first thing he sees is young Christians and God moving in that church of coming to salvation the second thing he does is he praises God and says God thank you this is awesome this is wonderful the third thing he does is he goes and he encourages those young believers to keep the main thing the main thing to keep Jesus number one in their life because he knows that persecution and hard times will still come and he rejoices and he's real and authentic so we move on, verses 25 to 26. Barnabas leaves Antioch and he goes to hunt out Paul. Well, we know that sometimes Barnabas and Paul didn't see eye to eye. But what Barnabas is seeing in there is he encourages, his, encourages these young believers to stay true in the Lord. He also realizes they're going to need some instruction, some discipleship on the ways of God so that they don't fall away, that they don't lose faith, that they don't lose hope. So Barnabas goes off on his own and seeks out Paul. What I think about as I read this is when he went back and he saw all that was going on in Antioch, he could have ended the story right here and just gone back to Jerusalem and said, hey guys, God is awesome. He is, he is being amazing. But what Barnabas is doing is he's saying, no, to encourage them is not enough. We need to get involved in their lives, in their struggles, in their ups and downs, in their failures. We need to get involved in what they're doing and we need to instruct them and guide them in what it is to be a Christian. We need to be there with them. So he seeks out Paul because although they had their differences, he knew that Paul could present the gospel in such an amazing way. God, could, uh, that Paul could present the gospel in a way that was convicting, that Paul could tell his own story of what God did in him and he can do that same thing in them. And so he seeks out Paul and he brings Paul back and he and Paul stay with the early church for over a year, in essence, disciple those new Christians. You see, what we see in this is as an encourager, Barnabas wasn't concerned about his own life or his own reputation. He wasn't in it for him. What he was concerned about was first the glory of God, that God was glorified. We see that he was concerned about the, the kingdom of God being built up. We see that he was concerned about the furtherance of the gospel and about building up other Christians, especially new Christians. So what do we take from this? Lessons learned. Number one, we need wholehearted devotion to Jesus Christ. As we look at our lives, we ask ourselves, am I an encourager? Am I a critical person or pessimistic? Am I, am I building up or am I tearing down? We need to do that little self-inventory, and as we backtrack from that, we need to say, am I wholly committed to Jesus Christ like I was when I first came to salvation? Am I seeking God, or am I just kind of waiting for Him to come to me? Am I searching for what God is doing? Am I looking for where God is moving in the areas around me? Am I wholly given out to God? And that's where God calls us, reminds us, like in the meal of communion, the cost of our salvation, the cost of that relationship, to not forget that. Because again, when we forget that, kind of like when we forget our first love, as God speaks to the church of Laodicea, that we become lukewarm, right? And that 
upsets God. That in this meal of communion that we shared this morning, to realize the cost of that, and that was a love aspect to us, that God is saying, I love you so much, I'm willing to die for you. God the Father saying, I love you so much, I'm willing to send my son to pay your debt with his own life. That that meal is an encouragement of love to us. That God is just taking us in his arms and wrapping him around us and saying, I love you this much. Remember that. Remember that. And allow that message to begin to sink back into our heart once again. And then take that and not hoard it to ourselves, but to go and share that with others. To be being prepared to be in the task of encouraging others and building them up. Not thinking about self, what we have, but about how we can build others up and spur others on as we read in our verse this morning, to spur others on to greater things in God and how to build the kingdom up. Number one, wholehearted devotion to God because we can't give away what we don't have. We can't give away what we don't have. Number two, Barnabas wasn't threatened by the new things that were happening in the kingdom of God. You see, he went out and he found Paul to bring back to instruct the new, the new uh, Christians. He didn't go back to Jerusalem. He didn't go home. He stayed there with them. And all this is going on. And it's not just Jews coming to salvation, but now there's Gentiles coming to salvation. And oh my gosh, the world and the church is changing, right? God is moving, but it's not going the way the Jews had originally wanted to, where they were God's chosen people in the nation of Israel. Now it's spreading out to Gentiles and the pagans and others. Now, all of us have seen this in churches and even times in, in our history, that when things change in the church, are people always excited? No, they're critical, they're frustrating. They're like, no, we've always done it, what? This way, this is the way you do it. And they don't embrace what God is doing. As Barnabas sees what is going on in Antioch and these other places, he doesn't fight it. He doesn't sit there and shake his head and going, my, 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 these are hard days. Look at this. I mean, Gentiles coming to salvation. What, what is going on? This just isn't right. What Barnabas does is he says, glory to God. This is awesome. God is moving. It's different than maybe with the way I would have done it or how others would have done it. Or it's different than the way it's always been, but God is moving. I think about this and I think about uh, the ministry of the Well Church where our son Jeremy is participating. Now we've gone there a couple times and it's a little bit different than our church. I mean, you walk in the lobby and they greet you and do all that. They have cookies and everything. But then as you're going into the sanctuary, you're offered earplugs in case you need them because the music is so loud. You come in, you sit down, and they have a lot of worship music ramping up, and Ken's been there. It's loud, isn't it? Very loud. And then they get up, and they're, they're dancing around, and they're, they're doing uh, the worship where you, know, you see on some of these things, they're jumping up and down, and us old folks can't do that because it just hurts the knees too much. But they're jumping up and down, and they're praising God, and, and uh, they're loud and proud of their relationship with God. And then as the pastor comes up, he's all over the stage, man, and he is enthusiastic and excited and he's just jumping back and forth and and the church is praising God and they do it radically different than we do it and then as you're leaving if you'd want to you take communion by yourself solo with the little bread and wafer that's all in one nice little package over in the corner now that's not the way we do things and it's radically different 
it's not so much for me. Christy kind of likes it more. But what I do realize is what God is doing in that church, that although it's different, God has given them a different ministry. We read in the Bible about the, the difference of gifts. Why? For the wholeness of the church to appreciate the differences of one another, not be critical of them, or not demand that, well, this is the way we should do it. To be open to God moving. And as we look at the ministry of that church, they're reaching out to a neighborhood. They're reaching out to the younger generation, which is the biggest generation of Christians leaving the church. And they're meeting their needs. They speak in their language and, and they do worship and they do uh, everything to minister to those young men and women especially. And it's exciting. Maybe not the way I would worship, but it's exciting to see what they're doing and how they're impacting people. So Barnabas, when he looked around, saw that God was moving. Maybe not how he would have it done, but in a way that God is doing. And he was open to God moving. Which should seem obvious, right? Because when we look at the Old Testament and New Testament stories, God doesn't do things the way people plan on, right? He does them in radical, strange ways that make no sense to us, but give him the glory walking around the walls of Jericho for a week and then walking around seven times and proclaiming God. That's now not how I would take a city out, right? God saving his people out of slavery and then having them wander around in the desert for 40 years and then saying, I'm giving you the promised land, but oh, by the way, it's filled with giant people. Don't worry, we got this. As God moves, he does so different than we would plan it planet out. Bringing the Savior into the world, not as a great king or a great military expert, but as a baby. And living among us. Emmanuel, God with us. Being with us where we're at. So we see God moving. But maybe not the way we would think it is. But Barnabas, because he was so devoted to God, could see that and appreciate that. And he could look at the potential in others, not the failures. Again, we look back at what we've read over Acts, and I ask the question, what would have happened if Barnabas would not have been there to the newly converted Paul to bring him into the fold with the other disciples in the church? He was the only one. The rest were all critical. What would have happened in the missionary journeys if Barnabas had not been there with John Mark to say, Paul, dude, give him another chance. I mean, don't we all fail? Hasn't God saved us and rescued us all? And don't we all mess up and sin? Doesn't the Bible say for all have fallen short of the glory of God? Give him another chance. Don't put him out yet, but go with him, alongside him, and give him another chance. You see, Paul or Barnabas's gift of encouragement is seeing what God would have in other people, their potential that God is doing in them, not who they are. And as we're encouraged to encourage others, if we just look at each other, where we're at, we often see the failures, the disappointments, uh, the imperfections, the, the non-beauty, the failures, but that's not what encouragers do. Encouragers look at each other and say, oh, I see it. I see where God is taking you. I see where he's trying to develop this gift in you, where he's taking you into this ministry, where he's trying to build you up, where he's giving you this opportunity to, to minister and share the gospel, where God's given you these gifts to be able to do this. Encourage your see the potential. 
Isn't that what teachers do? Well, what are you going to be when you grow up, right? Well, some of us are still trying to figure that out. We haven't quite grown up yet. But they encourage us to be something beyond here and now, to look forward to what we can be and start moving in that direction. Barnabas is an amazing encourager in the New Testament. And the life of this one man and the impact on the world and on the church from one man is amazing. When we looked at those key sections of where God used him, where he was open to do the things that others would not, where he was open to go along with those who had failed and not be like the rest and criticize them and put them down and say, no, nah, we're done, we're done, this is over. They, they, they hurt us, they, they messed up with us, we're done. We see the impact of one man in the New Testament and how it's impacted the church of where we are today. Because if there hadn't been those continued missionary journeys, if the disciples hadn't accepted Paul in, <coughs> we may not be here, right? So in closing, we think about as we encourage others, what is the impact of your one single solitary life on the lives of those in the future? What is the impact of your life on the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that by what you do, how you act, and what you say today? It's huge. It's huge. So be a Barnabas. Be a son, a daughter of encouragement. As we remember those words, sticks and stones will break my bones and the lie that words will never hurt me. Words do have an impact upon our lives. So we need to weigh our words carefully and speak words of encouragement. There's plenty of voices out there to speak words of discouragement and criticism. They're all around us. We don't need, they're like weeds. We don't need to go looking for them. But we need to be the ones to speak encouragement to one another. So go this week and encourage others as Barnabas did. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for the example of Barnabas uh, in, in the New Testament and in your word and, and the reality of the impact that you move through him that touches our lives today. That this one individual, this one man from some 2,000 years ago with what he spoke and what he did with his life being totally sold out to you, it touches us and it impacts our lives and our walk with you today to remind us to be wholly committed to you and to you alone not on what we should and shouldn't do, but to allow you to minister that through us as we draw closer in relationship with you. Lord, we pray this week that as we go forth, wherever we are, whether we're at home or at work or uh, out in the community, that we would be encouragers, which gives you an opportunity to work tremendously through us, which as the more we give away your gospel, the more you fill us up with your gospel. So, Lord, we pray this morning that we would keep our focus, to keep the main thing the main thing, which is you, and that we would encourage others and not focus on ourselves and our needs and our wants and desires, but to go forth and to bless others' hearts and to allow you and rely upon you to fill us up. We ask this in Jesus' name and pray that through this, you, above all things, would be glorified.